Hello, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. And we hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. And if you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Uh, If you look at your bulletin, you'll notice that this morning's broken signpost is truth. And of all the broken signposts that we've been exploring over the course of this series, uh, we would expect truth to be the least broken, right? Uh, I mean, after all, truth is absolute, immovable, solid, unchanging. Uh, Isn't truth the very thing that Christians are supposed to defend? And so surely we have to defend or are called to defend and proclaim something that is unbroken or something that is unstained. Uh, But this morning, I think we'll find out that our relationship with truth uh, isn't quite as straightforward as maybe we would hope or certainly not as much as we would expect. Uh, Consider for a moment um, any high-profile court case uh, where the jury gathers witnesses together. Uh, These witnesses take the stand and they commit to telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Uh, This commitment from witnesses is is justified and well-intentioned. Uh, it means that witnesses are not going to purposefully mislead uh, the jury or deceive them, that they're going to answer questions as honestly as they can with all the relevant facts of the case. Uh, but the rub is this. In their telling of the events surrounding the case, they decide which facts are relevant. Uh, and the witness tells those events surrounding the case only from one perspective, their own, right? And this is This is true of any witness. They can only tell the events from their own perspective. And so often witnesses in court cases will give conflicting testimony about the same events because they're telling it from their own perception or their own perspective. And so in these circumstances, uh, the truth, at least it appears on the surface, uh, is relative or simply a matter of perspective, right? Uh, The scriptures, unfortunately, don't solve this problem. They actually provide an example of it. As we read the Gospels, we're given different kind of chronologies of the life of Jesus. We are, uh, one author will put an event in Jesus's life here, while the other one will put it there on the kind of timeline of Jesus's life. That if you were to just look at all four Gospels and try to build a consistent uh, timeline of Jesus's life, much of it would be the same, but you would have certain points where there would be differences of when things happened or maybe sometimes how they happened. And so some readers in reading the Gospels or reading the Scriptures might be tempted to ask, well, which one is true? And the question indicates an understanding of truth as being simply what really happened. What I want to help us see and understand this morning is that the truth is certainly that and includes what really happened. But the truth is more than that. It's bigger than that. In fact, to understand the truth of the scriptures, we must ask not just uh, did this happen or in which order did this happen, uh, but we must seek to understand the purpose of the writing and the genre of the writing. This will help us determine um, that is something ordered differently for a theological purpose. 
as in the Gospels, right? These are not these are not trying to just be a videotape recordings of the life of Jesus. These are theological texts. So the author is kind of placing different events in Jesus's life for a purpose of sharing a theological message. But also it will help us to kind of understand, is this metaphor? Is it apocalyptic literature? Is it poetry? Is it parable? Et cetera, et cetera, right? So as we come to discerning and, and understanding the truth of the scriptures, we must know what we're reading. What is the context? What is the genre? All of those things are really, really important. This helps us kind of find our way through the very complicated and nuanced scriptures, right? This, this ancient book that is given to us as the word of God helps us find our footing theologically. So truth is, in a lot of our minds, did this happen or did it happen this way? This is why when we watch films based on a true story, we assume that it's at least giving a pretty fair representation of the events of the life that it's telling, that's based on a true story. But what we also might think of when we hear the word truth or when we think about truth and what it is, we might also quickly move to not just did the events happen or did they happen in this particular order or as they're outlined, but truth is a set of beliefs. It's a set of doctrines. Um, but again, church history here is not necessarily our friend. Um, the church throughout the ages has struggled to agree on doctrine for hundreds of years, we now have thousands of denominations across the globe, all with similar but divergent takes on what is really true or what truth really is. Now, let me take a little side note here and say this is where the creeds are really helpful. Uh, the historic creeds of the church kind of help provide guardrails and boundaries for helping us define here's what are sort of essential beliefs to calling yourself a Christian or practicing the Christian of faith. It's a broad tradition of which there are many expressions, but the creeds help to ground us. Uh, this is why in our discovery class, one of the things you'll hear is we are a Christian church first, affirming the historic creeds of the church, and we are also gladly and proudly part of a tribe called the Church of the Nazarene. But the Church of the Nazarene does not trump our belonging to the capital C church and our affirmation of the historic creeds. Are you with me? Okay. All right. So, uh, so truth, a set of beliefs, a set of doctrines in church history is helpful here. Uh, the reality, though, is we haven't always done a great job of resting in the broad Christian tradition. We've often focused on what we have different with our brothers and sisters rather than what we have in common. And this means that we've come to see truth as something that we possess. The truth is mine, right? I possess the truth. And when I feel I have possessed the truth, or that is mine for the taking, then whenever it feels like the truth is being um, put at risk, then I feel like I have to defend the truth, right? So if I assume that the truth is mine and I possess it, then it can very easily and quickly lead to a posture of having to defend the truth. This is why when Christians, many Christians, perceive the truth as being under attack, we identify as soldiers in a battle against truth. And we fight with weapons of apologetics, political activism, and flex our collective power of boycott. Okay? Let's just rest 
<laughs> and and kind of ask some really critical questions about what is our relationship to the truth? What is true? How do we discern what is true? And what is our posture to be whenever we feel like that truth is maybe kind of going off the rails or something like that, okay? Um, the point I'm trying to make here in the introduction is that our relationship with truth is a bit more complicated and nuanced maybe than we had originally hoped uh, or thought. Um, and so as we've been doing throughout this passage or throughout this series is we'll turn to the scriptures. Um, and if you haven't noticed, those of you who are just astute students and congregation members have noticed that we've always been in the Gospel of John. Uh, so we're going to turn again to the Gospel of John and the scriptures to try to help us kind of get our, our, uh, some grounding uh, on the concept of truth. Now, as I have said in every message in this series, and I want to say it again, a disclaimer, right? Truth is a huge subject uh, of which there's lots of complexity and nuance. And so what I want to share this morning is a contribution to the conversation surrounding truth. This is not the final word. My hope, in fact, is that it's the beginning of a conversation, that you'll uh, go into lunches and life groups and, and kind of friend groups and just begin to wrestle and think uh, through these things uh, on your own and in community with one another. The sermon is never the final word. Uh, the sermon is the first word. And so let me offer a word about truth uh, this morning. So if you have your Bible, uh, turn to John chapter 18. Uh, John chapter 18, I want to begin reading in verse 33 through thir verse 38, or the first part of 38, 38a uh, is what I want to read through. So it'll be up on the screens. You can click there. If you brought a Bible, awesome, good job. You can follow along uh, in your own scriptures as well. Uh, but John chapter uh, 18, beginning with verse 33, says this. Uh, then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you ask this on your own or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. So Pilate asked him, so you are, in fact, a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. And for this I was born, for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. And everyone who belongs to the truth listens to me and to my voice. Pilate asked him, what then is truth. What is truth? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, in this powerful passage, uh, which records for us the philosophical debate between Jesus and Pilate, I submit to you this morning that we find two ways of making truth in the world. Two ways of discerning or deciding upon truth that are debating with one another. Uh, that Jesus represents maybe the voice of God, the truth of God. Pilate represents uh, the voice of Caesar or the truth of Caesar. And they are having a debate with one another. Um, Pilate 
has a version of truth that is heavily influenced by the Roman Empire that he represents. Um, what you may not know is that historically we know very, very little of Pontius Pilate. He's one of the most famous people in history, and we actually know almost nothing about his life except for where his life intersects with the life of Jesus. In other words, all we know about Pontius Pilate is this little episode here and, and his involvement in the death and crucifixion of Jesus. Uh, the rest of his life we know very, very little about. We can, however, make some assumptions based on his role as a Roman governor, and that is this. In order to rise to this sort of position of power in the Roman Empire, he likely would have had a very decorated military past. And he also probably came from a very wealthy family. Now, again, these are, these are um, assumptions that we're making based on kind of what we know about the rest of history or the surrounding history, uh, but good assumptions that we can make. Uh, Pilate is likely a past military hero, likely comes from a wealthy family. And as the voice of Rome, he has a set of truths that he has oriented his life around. And they might be truths something like this. There is the survival of the fittest, right? Uh, truth like power is the ability to dominate people and nations. Truths that orient his life around, in other words, might be in order uh, to count in the world, you must wield military strength or represent those that do. There are clear winners and losers in life, and winners are more valuable. <laughs> and losers are less valuable. Uh, there are defined enemies, and there are defined friends. There are those who are for you, and there's are, there are those who are definitely against you. For Pilate, truth was carried out through the end of a blade. For this is what it meant to be a Roman governor. This is what it meant to serve King Caesar. Now, I want to be careful to not uh, make Pilate out to be a monster. <laughs> because actually, uh, the Gospels show us that he was hesitant. Uh, all the Gospels show that Pilate was hesitant to send Jesus to the cross uh, because he saw and he understood and in his own mind believed Jesus to be an innocent man. In other words, he didn't want to use uh, the force or the authority or the, the violence at his, at his ready that he, could, that he could inflict with a word. He did not want to use that indiscriminately. He had a heart. I mean, this was a compassionate guy. He didn't want this to take place or to happen to an innocent man. The force of death uh, was only to be used for those who deserved it uh, by crossing the way of Rome. But if you went against Rome, if you went against the way of Rome, then, then the Roman way was you deserved to be put to death. Uh, but, but this was not just an indiscriminate death of anyone who... who uh, they wanted or saw fit. It was, uh, it was, hey, have you done certain things that have led to you deserving this? And so all the Gospels say that Pilate is hesitant. I want you to think about this reality in this way. Pilate was content to allow religious expression and varied belief within Rome as long as it didn't threaten Roman rule. 
There was no problem with spiritual practice. There was no problem with varied belief. There was no, practice, no, no problem at all with, with sort of spiritual practice as long as that didn't get in the way of or fly in the face of the Roman way and the Roman rule. And so Pilate's truth was that peace was kept by keeping people in their proper place, which was subservient to Rome. Uh, you could have all the gods that you wanted as long as Rome was among them, right? As long as you followed the way of Rome and the way of nation as well, you could have all the gods you wanted. Does this make sense? So, there is Pilate's truth. Contrast that then with the truth that Jesus represents and that Jesus spent his life proclaiming. Jesus came announcing the arrival of a new kingdom that plays by different rules. A kingdom that is not animated by the powers of the corrupted world, but a kingdom that is animated by heaven itself. This is what Jesus means when he says, my kingdom is not from this world or not of this world, some translations will say. A lot of us have taken the kingdom, my kingdom is not of this world. We've taken this to mean that it's, that the kingdom of God is a purely spiritual kingdom, an ethereal kingdom, right? One that isn't tangible in any way. It's a kingdom that maybe we uh, experience only after we die. Uh, but this isn't, in fact, what Jesus is saying. So it isn't that God's kingdom doesn't exist in the world. It's that the engine of God's kingdom is the spirit of God or the spirit of truth and not the spirit of deceit. Are you with me? Uh, and so N.T. Wright says it this way, uh, the kingdom of God is not of this world, but it is certainly for this world. It's a pretty good way of, I think, putting it. Uh, in this kingdom, we find the most beautiful truths. People are invited to show radical self-giving love, even to their enemies. The oppressed in the kingdom of God are set free, both from their tangible masters and from the master of sin that lives in their hearts. Justice is redefined as restored relationships. Freedom is expressed in service to others rather than the elevation of personal rights in the kingdom of God. And beauty is seen in the ordinary expressions of new life that is all around us. Or beauty is, we might say this, beauty is seen in the evidence of resurrection that is all around us. These, this, this new life that keeps pop popping up. And so Jesus says that his very life, the reason that he was born, is to come and give testimony to this truth. The, the, the reason that Jesus was born, the life, uh, because a lot of times we, we kind of celebrate, we focus on the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, but then it's like, what do we do with his life, Right? I mean, if, if the whole thing was about just Jesus dying on the cross, couldn't he have died earlier? Maybe as an infant? And it have accomplished the very same thing? Right? As, as Christians, as the church, we often leave ourselves in quandary, not knowing quite what to do with the life of Jesus. But here he bears witness to the fact that his very life, his ministry, his testimony was to bear witness to this kind of truth, the truth of the kingdom of God. The truth of this kingdom that is coming to bear in our time, in our world, that looks totally different from all the other kingdoms and nations of the world, right? 
And you might find yourself saying, if you've been here a little while, Pastor Andy talks about this a lot. I do. Because Jesus did. (laughs) I mean, I talk about it a lot because Jesus talked about it a lot. And I talk about it a lot because the implications for us are enormous if we will really seek to understand them. If we will really, really allow the implications of the kingdom of God to get into not only our minds where, yes, I understand that. Come on, Andy, give me some new insight. But we allow it to move to our minds, into our hearts so that we are then orienting our very lives according to the truths represented in the kingdom of God. So Jesus says that the very reason he was born is to bear witness to this truth, and that anyone who belongs to the truth listens to the voice of Jesus. I want to come back to that in a moment. But for now, let's look at Pilate's response. Pilate who, having oriented his life around a a particular set of truths, is then brought face-to-face with the Messiah and comes into contact with this kind of truth. Pilate certainly would have known who Jesus was or that this kind of growing movement, the the rumors of, of miracles and all that Jesus had done, this was not a stranger that was approaching him that day. And so when Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, there's a pretty good sense that Pilate knew exactly what he was talking about. That the animating spirit behind the kingdom of God was different than the animating spirit behind the kingdom of Rome. And when confronted with this reality... Pilate is brought to a very important question, and that is, what is truth? What is truth? What is true? Have you ever found yourself asking that question with a whole bunch of conflicting news reports and and different stories and cycles surrounding a pandemic, maybe? What is true? What is, what is the thing, what is the information, what is the thing that I, to, for which I am to orient my life around as we all collectively go through this thing, right? What is true? That's a really important question. And this is the very question that the text is inviting us to ask. We are to see this whole episode as a confrontation between Caesar's spokesperson and God's. And here's what I submit to you today. That when we, what we come to see in this passage of Scripture is that truth is not the most correct set of facts. Truth is not the most accurate set of doctrines. Truth is not something that we possess. Therefore, truth is not something that we are to defend or spend our lives sort of defending Truth is more than what we say, what, when, than what we might say in what really happened. Truth, church, I submit to you, is the self-giving love that made the world and will remake the world. I want to go back to what Jesus says. Anyone who belongs to the truth listens to the voice of Jesus. Anyone who belongs to the truth. I don't know about you, but it is quite difficult to belong to a set of doctrines. It's really difficult to belong to a particular set of beliefs. 
Now, I'm not saying the doctrine or belief isn't important. I like apologetics as much as the next guy. I spent years of my life in formal religious education. Belief, doctrines, those things are critically important. But we don't belong primarily to those doctrines. We belong to the living Christ who lives out and bears witness to the truth. The truth is embodied in Jesus and the truth is self-giving love that made the world and will one day remake the world. Now, I know this is the, a totally different way of thinking about truth, right? And, and you might say, well, what about this and what about that? And here's this nuance and there's all that. And that's why I say this isn't the whole word. This is a word about truth right? Let's help, let's at least include this in our discussions. Can it be what really happened? Yep. Can it be a certain set of beliefs? Sure. Can it be doctrines? Absolutely. But let's also include the person and witness and actions of Jesus that have reformed the world as what is true and the very truth that we are then to orient our lives around, right? What is true? You could take this, you know, any, any number of historical doctrines over which the church has argued. Or you might look at the cross and the resurrection and you say, the very things that are represented in the actions and self-giving love of Jesus on the cross that were then verified in the resurrection, that is the very thing for which my life is going to be oriented around. That becomes the truth. And so we've come to see, as I'll say again, we've come to see that truth is not the most correct set of facts or accurate doctrines. Truth is not something to be defended. Truth is not something we possess. Truth is not just what really happened. Truth is the self-giving love that made the world and will remake the world. Truth is the person of Jesus bearing witness to the new world coming to light in our own world. Truth is the power of love to conquer death. And the greatest expression of this truth, of course, is God in Christ on the cross. So when asking, what is true? Our framework should be this. Here's the practical part of the sermon. I struggle with practical sermons. Have you noticed? <laughs> I'm just like, truth bomb, truth bomb, truth bomb. And then it's over. And you're like, Ugh! Right? What am I supposed to do? Here's my effort and at a practical part. When asking what is true, our, frame, our framework should be, to what degree does this reflect or echo the self-giving love of Christ and new creation? Make that your framework. When all you're discerning, like uh, of your uh, of the newscasts and all of that kind of stuff, and and, and you, can, might, you might say, well, okay, I need to work my way through different sets of facts, right? And I need to find out what facts are actually true. Uh, that's a different set of work, right? But once we've, kind of no, once we've navigated through that and we've said, okay, here's what I believe to be true factually. How then am I supposed to orient my life or what am I supposed to do in light of that? Then a pretty good framework is to say, what would... What would self-giving love and what would new creation look like as I oriented myself around this thing, right? 
Um, if this is in fact the case, and I've gone through the important steps of discernment, then how am I to act? How am I to respond? What am I to do? What does self-giving love look like? What does new creation look like? And then allow that to orient your actions, your response. And so what happens, and I know this is a different way of thinking about truth, but what happens is once we understand truth in light of Christ, we are then invited to bear witness to it in the world. Um, and that's been true for all of our signposts, right? Uh, you've maybe noticed the structure has been the same. Here's how the thing is broken. Here's how we understand the thing in light of Christ. And here's an invitation then to sort of live in that way. To live not in light of the completely broken signpost, but the one that's just a little bit mended in light of Christ, let's kind of work that direction, right? And the same is true here. That once we've understood truth in light of Christ, that truth is self-giving love, that made the world and will remake the world, embodied perfectly in the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then I then am invited to bear witness to this truth in the world. That is to say, we are to be and invited to be ambassadors of truth. What would happen if the church began to see themselves not as defenders of truth, but ambassadors of truth? That's a different posture, right? The posture is fundamentally different. If I'm sort of defending truth versus I am an ambassador of truth. I am a, I'm a witness to truth, called to bear witness and give testimony to that which is true. Versus, I have a whole set of facts and, and doctrines and beliefs that appear to be under attack, and so now I have to defend. And there's a time and a place for apologetics. I don't want you to mishear me. Uh, but posture-wise, there's a fundamental difference. And so embodying new creation, faithfully pointing people to Jesus, showing that self-giving love is the most powerful force in the world, And help me here, but what would it look like to be, I think that to be people of truth is not primarily to clearly articulate doctrine, but to love well. That's, uh, I, I told you a couple weeks ago that I always, I'm always kind of changing and learning and growing and, and all of that, and so thank you for your patience to allow me to think out loud with all of you. Um, but at least where I'm at today is I, I think that to be people of truth is primarily not the ability to clearly articulate doctrine, but to love well. Um, I want to end with a quote from, from Father Richard Rohr. He says this, Healthy spirituality leads us to true liberation by naming what's real, what's true, and what works now and in the long run. Healthy spirituality leads us to true liberation by naming what's true and what works now and in the long run. This ultimate reality, the way things work, quite simply described, is love. That's the quote. I'll read it again. I got all broken up to try to make a point, so let me just read it. Healthy spirituality leads us to true liberation by pointing, by naming what's real, what's true, what really works now and in the long run. 
This ultimate reality, the way things really work, is quite simply described as love. And so this morning, I think my hope and my prayer is that we would have um, the courage to bear witness to the truth in the world, to be ambassadors of truth. And I think part of that is to love well. And we need good doctrine, right? We should be grounded in the creeds of the church. um, And we should be thinking about things that are important. Like, I'm not trying to say don't think about anything. I'm trying to say, like, you know, you can make the mistake of only kind of living in the realm of doctrine and not loving well. And I want to try to marry the two together. I want to try to say even primarily our role to be people of truth is to love well. And so God, would you help us? Let's say a word of prayer. Um, Gracious God who leads us into all truth and who our Lord Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We pray, God, that you would um, protect us from coming to believe that truth is something that we possess, um, something that we can defend. But Lord, help us to, to live in the world with a posture of love, of ambassadors of truth, of, of bearing witness to new creation and the, and the beauty of resurrection and the beauty of self-giving love and the power of self-giving love. Uh, for, for these are the things that we see in Jesus. And so God, help us. Uh, we have erred in many ways. Uh, we ourselves and the church throughout history have erred in many ways. And we also recognize, God, that we ourselves and the church throughout history has at points gotten it so beautifully right. And it has been wonderful. And so God, help us um, to live more of our days in the kind of beautiful witness to truth. Recognizing that as we lean into that and as we explore what that means and as we seek to do that well, there will be times when we mess up and we get... um, focused on the wrong sorts of things and all of that. But God, keep us steadfast in desiring to bear witness to the truth of Christ in the world. God, can we take a moment to confess that it is very, very easy living in the location that we do to believe narratives of kind of power through power over, not power of service, to believe um, peace by way of war rather than the way is peace. Um, That we're we're tempted in many ways to have a, a framework of truth the same as Pilate. And you're desiring through your Holy Spirit and the witness of Jesus to move us into orienting our lives around the kingdom of God. So God, help us as we recognize the challenge that is before us. Give us grace, we pray. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.